All right, we're in a study in the book of Acts. We've entitled it 44 because the book of Acts is the 44th book in the Bible. And that we're in chapter 2. And there's some very important things happening here at the very beginning of chapter 2. So we have to take our time to go through it, just to, to give the proper respect that, that is due this section of Scripture. Acts 2 uh, is when the church was conceived, when the New Testament church came into existence. Uh, it was the day of Pentecost. And for those of you that uh, were with us two weeks ago, we talked about what Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, what the day of Pentecost, what it mean, meant uh, in the Old Testament and, and why it was so significant. That, that was the, the, the moment in which the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church and what that means to us today. And so if you missed that message, you can, you can go to the App Store and on your smartphones, you can download the Trinity uh, Lubbock Church app and you can hear the message from two weeks ago uh, free of charge. Matter of fact, I, I heard Pastor Eddie's message by going to my app and pulling up last week's message. And, and I was able to, to uh, watch the message and, and be blessed by that. So we're going to pick up where we left off. So we're in Acts 2. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there are some important symbols that are mentioned here concerning the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Holy Trinity. Uh, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in, in you. Uh, the Spirit of God is in you. So this is very significant. So when the Bible introduces the Holy Spirit to us in this section of Scripture, we see uh, a, a greater, uh, we, we receive a greater understanding of the Holy Spirit by the symbols that are mentioned here for the Holy Spirit. These are very powerful. The, there's the symbol of wind that is mentioned here, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. The symbol of fire that is mentioned here, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the manifestation of speaking in other tongues or the demonstration of the Holy Spirit through the praying in the heavenly language is also mentioned here. So next week we'll, we'll talk about the other symbols. But the symbol I want to look at, the first symbol I want to look at this weekend is the symbol of wind. Wind. Now, if you were going to introduce someone, to, uh, you were going to introduce a friend or a family member to somebody that's never met them, how would you go about doing that? Well, you would say, you know, you really need to meet my friend so-and-so. And you'd give them their name. And once you gave them their name, that person in their mind would be able to begin to kind of form a picture. They've never met them now. But once you give them their name, they're able to begin to form a picture of who this person might be. Right? So let's say you're introducing me to somebody that's never met me. You say, hey, you got to meet my pastor. His name's Carl Toady. So right away they think, oh, it's a guy, Carl Toady. Oh, and he's a pastor. Yeah, and he's married, and he has children. Okay, so he's, he's a husband, he's a father, he's a pastor, he's a guy. So all of a sudden, they're kind of getting this picture of what I might look like, right, when they actually meet me. Well, when God introduces the Holy Spirit to us in Scripture, he begins with his name, Holy Spirit. Let's say that name together, Holy Spirit. So we know there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, What's the name Holy Spirit mean? Well, in the original language in which the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek. That was the known language of, of first century Christians. So they wrote it in the language that was known by most people 
living at that time, which was Koine Greek. So in the original manuscripts of the Bible, the word holy comes from the Greek word hagios, okay? And it simply means holy, it means separate, it means other. So holy spirit. Now, the name spirit, the word spirit comes from a Greek word pneuma, which means wind or breath, which is quite interesting because the Holy Spirit is, is the holy wind of heaven, the holy breath of God. So I guess if you wanted to be uh, more technical on how you would refer to the third member of the Holy Trinity, we would have to say Father, Son, and Holy Breath. Doesn't sound right, does it? Or Father, Son, and Holy Wind. Mm, that still doesn't sound right. Uh, it, it does sound the best, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because in our English language, we have become more accustomed with the, the word or the term spirit. But when you are using, when you're looking at the original language of Scripture, whether in the Hebrew Old Testament or Greek New Testament, it's the word for wind or breath. Now, wind is an, an appropriate symbol for the Holy Spirit because wind moves things. Now, how many of us know, living in West Texas, we know about wind, don't we? When the wind blows, it moves things, right? It alters things. Uh, in the fall, when all the leaves, you know, uh, fall off of our trees and, and it's on our, our lawn, when there's a big gust of wind and a, and a windstorm that comes through Lubbock, you know, and it blows all your leaves over to your neighbor's yard, you say, thank you, Lord, for the wind. It moved everything over there. But then if you have a neighbor, then as he comes over here, you know, you just wait long enough, it'll eventually all move out, right? Um, so wind is significant. You know, this Memorial Weekend, as you're out and about, there'll be flags that will be flying. One of the most beautiful sounds is to hear the wind blowing through, a, to hear a, an American flag flapping in the wind. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful sound. So wind is significant because wind uh, is, is necessary. It, it moves air around, okay, so that we can have a constant supply of oxygen. There's some practical things about wind. Uh, plants need wind because that's how they cross-pollinate and reproduce. Uh, we, we need wind in order to move weather into different regions. Without the wind and the storms can't come and bring the storm clouds and bring the rain to, to our land. So without wind, everything would be stagnant. So the Bible really is a windy book. You ever thought of it that way? The Bible itself is a windy book. Now, let's learn some things about the Holy Spirit uh, and about how wind is an appropriate symbol for the Holy Spirit by going back to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, remember verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says in verse 2, And the earth was without form and void. And then it goes on to say, and, and, and it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So I want you to get a, your, a picture in your mind of what the planet Earth looked like before creation. Okay? It says that the Earth was without form and void. It was empty. It was a wasteland. There was no life. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit appears. And in, and in verse 2, the second half of verse 2 says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the, the Hebrew words that are being used here, it, it speaks and describes this earth as a ball of frozen water. When it says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, uh, the, the water, the, from the Hebrew word, the word waters means frozen waters. 
So there was no life. There was no hope for any life. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up, right? And he's hovering over, and creation is about to occur. Now, it's interesting. The Hebrew word for spirit used in Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God was hovering, is the Hebrew word. I'm not too good with Hebrew or Greek, okay? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna hear, here it goes. It's the Hebrew word ruha. Can you say that with me? Ruha. Okay, you gotta, gotta like say it from the depths of your throat, ruha, and you have to like exhale, exhale breath in order to even say the Hebrew word for the name for the for the word for the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the wind of heaven, the the breath, the life of God. All right, here's the second time it shows up. Look at Genesis chapter two, verse seven. It says, "And the Lord God formed man from of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils." The breath of life, say that with me, the breath of life, the spirit of life. God, by his Holy Spirit, breathed into Adam a living spirit, and man became a living being. So just like the earth was without form and void, wasteland, it was empty, there was no hope, it was dead, there was no life, so man was without form and void, was a wasteland, there was no life, until God breathed into him. And then Adam, all of a sudden, boom, his eyes pop open. His heart starts beating. The blood starts flowing. And he comes into existence. Can you imagine being Adam? Like, where am I? Who am I? Who are you? <laughs> you know, I mean, this, the, he, 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 was, he was non-existent. And then all of a sudden, he comes into existence. Totally cool. And how did that happen? God breathed into him the breath of life. God gave him some heavenly CPR. I think there are some people in churches today that need some heavenly CPR. It's like open wide and blow into them, Lord, and bring life into them, all right? Now, there's another example of the Holy Spirit that's like wind, and it happens to be in the book of Ezekiel. Now, this is cool. Just like I, I regularly remind you, Trinity, that uh, I read through the Bible in a year. So in my daily devotional of reading through the Bible in a year, I happen to be in the book, one of the books I'm reading in is the book of Ezekiel. So yesterday I opened up my Bible reading, and I'm in Ezekiel, the chapters like 35, 36, 37. And there it describes God having this conversation with the Son of Man, Ezekiel, about this valley of dry bones. And he shows him this valley of dry bones, that, it, that it's filled with dead skeletons. And God says, can these bones live? And, and Ezekiel had the right answer. He's like, I don't know, but you know. God says, prophesy to them, son of man. So he prophesies to these dry bones and sinew and flesh come on these dry bones, but they're still not alive yet. And God said, can they, can they live? And he says, I don't know, but you know. He says, prophesy again. And it says, in the wind of heaven, the spirit of God, the breath of God comes into these dead bones and they become a living army. And God says, now, this is like the children of Israel. This is like my nation. They're like this valley of dry bones. They are spiritually without life. They are dead until the wind of heaven, the breath of God, the spirit of life, the creative force of God by the Holy Spirit comes and out of death comes life. You know, sometimes we may feel spiritually like 
the earth, the state the earth was in before creation, before the Holy Spirit hovered over it, or like Adam was before God breathed into him the breath of life, or as the valley of dry bones. Maybe you look at your spiritual life right now, and, and, and there's nothing happening, and what we need is we need the wind of heaven, and we need the, the Holy Spirit to come and to bring that life back into us. Or maybe your marriage is like the valley of dry bones and maybe you look at it and others look at it and you say there is no hope and and it's going to be written off and we're going to become another statistic and and God may be asking you, can your marriage live again? And maybe you're like Ezekiel, like God, I don't know, but you know. And God says, it can. And begin to speak the words of life over your marriage. Begin to speak the words of life over your spiritual state. Begin to speak the words of life if you're battling sickness. The Lord might be saying, can you be healed? You're like, I don't know, Lord. The doctor's saying no. God says, prophesy to that valley of dry bones. And when the Holy Spirit comes and the wind of heaven comes, that which was dead now comes to life again. But we're not finished yet. In the New Testament, there's another example of the Holy Spirit being compared to wind. And whenever the Holy Spirit shows up, there's life. Life begins to happen. In uh, John 3, you're all familiar, many of you are familiar with this story. John 3, this religious guy by the name of Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and he asks him about eternal life. He's got, a, he's got an honest question. He says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus, out of the blue, says this, you must be born again. Now, how many of you have ever heard that term before, born again? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that term before. Okay. How many of you have actually heard it for years and years, born again, born again? Okay. So all of us, we're familiar with that term, born again. It became popular, I think, in the 80s, you know. Everybody started throwing around this born again, born again. And it's a very important term, don't get me wrong, but we cheapen it the way we misuse it and abuse it. But it originated with Jesus. He's the first person to ever say it. It's the first, first time in the Bible it's ever used, it's used by Jesus. When he's talking to this religious guy. And he's telling him how he can be saved. He said, you must be born again. Let's say that together, born again. So we're familiar with it. But you imagine being the first person to ever hear that? Nicodemus, a theologian, was the first person to ever hear that phrase, born again, out of the mouth of Jesus. So he's thinking literally, I must be born again. Okay? And he's thinking, Nicodemus is thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to break the news to my mom. You know, I mean, you know how moms are, right? I mean, moms always remind us, I bore you. You know, I brought you into this world. I still have the stretch marks to prove it. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Oh, is your mom like my mom? You know? So he's thinking, great. He even asks Jesus this question. This is in the Bible. This part is in the Bible. He even asks Jesus this question. Do I have to enter my mother's room a second time? It's like, Jesus, like, stop right there. I can't believe you even went there, and now I've got that picture in my mind, you know. He's like, no, I'm not talking about this natural rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. You must be born of the Holy Spirit and of water. So look at what he says in verse 8 of John 3. The wind blows. Interesting. Here's this wind again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and, and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, God wants everyone to be born of the Spirit, but not everyone in our world is born of the Spirit yet. You know, there are people filling churches like this all throughout our community, all throughout our state, all throughout our country, and around the world, and they have not yet been 
born of the Spirit. You see, being a Christian, you don't, you don't, you're not a Christian because, well, I was born in America. I'm a Christian. No, or uh, my parents are Christians, so I'm a Christian. No, or that's our, our denominational affiliation is a Protestant church or a Catholic church, so I'm a Christian. No. Well, I'm, I'm a member of a church. Great. Uh, I serve as a deacon. Wonderful. I'm even an elder. Super. I'm a pastor. I preach sermons every Sunday. Great. But have you been born of the Spirit? See, you must be born again. And that is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, being born of the Spirit. And I remember at the age of 17, a senior at Manzano High School in Albuquerque, New Mexico, I remember that I was without form and void. I was a wasteland. I was like earth was before creation. I was like Adam was, uh, a lifeless form with no life in me. I was like the valley of dry bones. I was like Nicodemus. I was alive physically, but I was dead spiritually until the wind of heaven blew my way. And the Holy Spirit visited me. And it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to God into a place of repentance. And the Holy Spirit and the breath of heaven came into me, and God breathed into me, and I became a living spiritual being. I was born again. My friend, have you experienced the wind of heaven in your life? Have you been born of the Spirit? You see, there's a difference that occurs in a man or a woman's life, in a young person's life, not by simply going to a Christian school or not by simply reading the Bible, but when you've been born again, you know you've been born again because the wind of heaven comes across your life and that which was dead is now alive and it's alive because now you have been born of the Spirit and you become a brand new person. How awesome is that? And then in John's gospel, the same, the same gospel, John chapter 20, this is after the resurrection. This is after the resurrection. Jesus uh, is appearing for the next 40 days to his disciples at different times. He appears to them in John chapter 20, and he does something absolutely incredible. Look at verse 22 of John 20. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's say that together. Receive the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus do? He breathed on them. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like people breathing on me. But if it's Jesus that wants to breathe on me, I'm like, Lord, let it come. Let it come, right? Send the breath. I mean, Jesus did some incredible things, you know. You know, he, he, he spit in one guy's eye one time to heal him. You know, I mean, how cool is that? He spit and made mud, packed his eyes with mud. I mean, it was just, you ever wonder sometimes if you were, like, born in the wrong century? Sometimes I wonder if I was born in the wrong century, you know? I mean, how cool would it have been to have been born when Jesus was alive? That would have been awesome. I would have loved to have been one of Jesus' apostles. But then I remember, I'm from Italian and Spanish descent, and, you know, we were the oppressors of Jesus' people back then. I mean, he would have taken take one look at me and said, you're not a Jew, you're, not a, you're a Gentile. You know, he'd, I'd be cast out. Could you imagine being with Jesus and being there that day when Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit? I mean, how cool was that? Hey, wait a minute, it reminds me. It reminds me of what God did to Adam when he was just a lifeless form of, of dust of the ground, until God did what? Until God breathed in him the breath of life. 
and he became a living being. And now Jesus, his disciples have become new creations in Jesus. They've been born again, born of the Spirit. And it's symbolized in this moment when he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. All right, so now look at Paul, what he says writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. He says this. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being or a living soul. The last Adam, which is a title for Jesus, he's called the second Adam. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. You know what you received from the first Adam? This is, this is some good theology here, okay? Do you know what all of us received from the first Adam? All of us received a living soul from the first Adam. Everybody in here has a soul. Everybody living in the world has a soul. Adam gave us a living soul, but only Jesus can give us a living spirit. You see, the reason is all of us are born into sin. We're all born spiritually dead in need of God. Everybody. And, and if you're here today and you've not yet surrendered your life to Christ, you have a soul, you have a body, you're alive physically, and you have a soul that needs to be restored and repaired and, and healed. And you have a spirit, but technically, your spirit is dead. You're dead in trespasses and sins. Spiritually, you're dead. And here's what happens. When you're born again, born of the spirit, the spirit part of you, and that's the real you, you are a spiritual being, you have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. And when you're born again... By the mighty work and power of the Holy Spirit, your spirit comes alive. Something that's never existed before comes alive, and you become born again, and you become a brand new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have been made brand new. Just like the earth was without form and void and, and darkness was on the face of the, of the waters, and then life came. Just like Adam uh, was, was just a, a pile of dirt until God breathed life in him. Like the valley of dry bones, so is your spiritual condition and my spiritual condition outside of Christ. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes it. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the, power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So in Adam we have a soul, but in Jesus we become living spiritual beings born again. And you become a brand new person. But listen, as I close the message, everything God does, Satan counterfeits. He's a counterfeiter. He's a copycat. He imitates everything that God is and everything that God does because he wanted to be like God. And that's what got him booted out of heaven. And here in Ephesians 2, verse 2, it says once again, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You see, there's the wind of heaven, and then there is the wind of the enemy that blows also. And this world has a course to it. And all of us, at some point in time, we all walked according to the course of this world course. You know, my, uh, my youngest son, Jonathan, he, uh, he was in track uh, there at Trinity Christian, and uh, 
he actually, you know, he made it to state. And, you know, when you run track, you run on a course, right? You got to stay on that course. Well, the world has a course it wants you to run on. And as soon as you get off the world's course, they're quick to remind you, get back into line. You need to act a certain way. You need to talk a certain way. You need to think a certain way. And you need to believe a certain way. Because the world wants to squeeze you and me into its mold. And it wants you to be on the right course, which is the world's course. And Paul, the apostle, tells us here that the course of this world is controlled by the prince and the power of the air who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now keep that in mind. Go two chapters over, same book, Ephesians, chapter 4, look at verse 14. Paul is encouraging the Christians to grow up in their faith and to no longer be immature in their faith. In verse 14, he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. What in the world is Paul talking about here? The winds of false doctrine have been blowing in this world for thousands of years. They are becoming more sinister and more fierce today than they ever have in any previous time. The winds of false doctrine, the perpetrators of deception in lies in our society today, as I love how Paul describes them, he calls it the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You know, the Bible talks about in the end times. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, said that the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, listen, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. What are the doctrines of demons? I looked at the word doctrine, and the word doctrine basically means beliefs held by a church, a political party, or any other group. It's their creed, their dogma, their teaching. And any creed, any dogma, any teaching, I don't care where it comes from. I don't care if it comes from this church or the Catholic church or another Protestant church. I don't care if it comes from your favorite political party, from the Democrats or from the Republicans or from the Independents. I don't care if it comes from Washington. I don't care if it comes from pop culture. I don't care if it comes out of Hollywood. I don't care if it comes through our television sets or over the Internet or over the radio. Any doctrine, any dogma, any belief that is contrary to the holy teachings of Jesus and the holy teachings of the Bible are doctrines of demons and doctrines of devils and should be rejected because you don't want to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every cunning, crafty opinion that's coming down the pipeline these days. You know, church, I wonder sometimes, I wake up and I see what's happening in our world and I'm wondering, what happened to my country? You ever wonder that? I wonder sometimes if I've been abducted by aliens and I've woken up into a foreign planet somewhere. When I see the crazy stuff that's going on in our world today. Another young 20-something-year-old just went on a killing spree in California. 
And what you're going to hear, guns, all guns are so bad. No, the filth and the godlessness in our public schools and in our society and in our world today and kids growing up without a fear of God, without a sense of right and wrong because nobody is willing to say, here are the Ten Commandments. This is what God expects. You were created by God. You are going to one day meet God and there will be a judgment. It's the absence of a fear of God that is turning our world into a living hell. Someone once said, if man no longer believes in hell, the world will become a hell. If man no longer believes in hell, that there is a final judgment that will come. And unless you allow Jesus to be your substitute and to take your place and humble yourself before him, and repent of your sins and turn to him, then there is no hope. There's only hope in Jesus. There's only hope in Jesus. One of the greatest compliments ever paid to somebody in the Bible was a compliment paid by Jesus to John the Baptist. And it's found in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 7, and it says this, And they departed, and Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? No. He goes on to say, of all the men born of a woman, there's not a man greater than John. What did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken in the wind? Now, what does that mean? It meant everything, first century people. You see, these reeds that Jesus was referring to, they would grow anywhere from 6 feet to 12 feet. Massive, beautiful. They're of the sugarcane family. And many times, people would go out to hear somebody preach, like John the Baptist, and then they would see the reeds start blowing, and they're like, wow, they forget about John, what he's preaching. Like, whoa, look at the reeds. You know, they're beautiful. Shaking in the wind, you know. And the devil wants us to be distracted by the reeds shaking in the wind, by the latest starlet, you know, who... Got arrested for drunk driving, but going to be getting married next week or whatever. Reed shaking in the wind. <laughs> the world's falling apart. Reed shaking in the wind. <laughs> Hello, earth, heaven calling to earth. Are you awake, earth, planet earth? Right? But here's another meaning of that. God is saying to all the men in here, first, and to the ladies also, don't be like a reed shaking in the wind. The winds blow this way, you go this way. The winds blow this way, you go. The winds blow this way, you, you're just a reed shaking in the wind. Know who you are. Know what you are. Know where you came from. Know where you're going. And stand tall and strong for Jesus and be a light in this dark generation. <laughs> Point people to Jesus. Don't be a reed shaking. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Know what you believe and base your life on God's holy word. Because the winds are blowing more crafty and more deceptful, deceptful than they have ever blown in my lifetime. And it's all a sign of the times. That we are living in the last of the last days. And it doesn't mean that we're without hope. No, it might have to get a little worse before it gets better.
But eventually, God, by his grace, will bring this nation to its knees until we are forced to look up and say, God, how far we have fallen. And in that moment, he will pour out his grace and he will pour out his mercy and we will see the greatest revival this nation has ever seen before. Can we thank God for the wind of heaven beginning to blow once again? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we humbly come before you today. And Lord, I pray it's the wind of the Spirit that's filling our sail today. I pray it's the wind of the Holy Spirit that's blowing in our marriages and in our homes and in our churches and in our lives. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would have a fresh Pentecost. I, I pray, Heavenly Father, that, that the life-breathing experience of Pentecost would be ours once again today in the 21st century. And I pray, Lord, that the air of heaven, the wind of heaven would, would push out the, the spiritual staleness that's in our lives and in our churches. It would, it would blow out the pollutants that are in the air. I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch every heart in life here today, Lord. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you can be born again. You can be born of the Spirit. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. So right where you're seated, open up your heart. Pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart if you want to receive God's love and grace into your life. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. and Be my Savior. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. And give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you, church. Have an awesome day. <laughs>